Welcome to Scanner School. This is Phil Lichtenberger, my trader call sign is W2LE, and this is session number 86. All session notes can be found on our website at scannerschool.com slash session 86. Before we get started on today's podcast, I want to remind you that this session is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, yes, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies, and we are a Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone pager dealer. There's a couple of promos running on Unication products, and I want to tell you one right now. You can save half off. You can save 50%. You can get half of it for free. I don't know how you want to talk about it, but whatever it is, if you have a older G4 or G5 pager, trade in your aging battery now. So Unication wants you to trade in your old and tired lithium-ion battery for a brand new one. And they feel like not enough people are updating their batteries, and they should be. So right now, Unication is offering 50% off a brand new lithium-ion battery for your G2, G3, G4, or G5 pager. The trick is you must trade in the battery, which means I need your old battery back if you buy a new battery from me. So the batteries are $29.95 plus shipping. When you send back your old battery, I'll cut you a rebate check for $14.98. So for your math geniuses at home, yeah, I gave you that extra little cent to make it an even trade on your part. So you go to eastcoastpagers.com, purchase the 2800 milliampere battery for the Unication G-Series pagers. When you get your new battery, you put your old battery back in the box, you ship it back to me, and I cut you a check for half the price of the battery. Again, the batteries must be returned to me within seven business days, and this is how you get a brand new battery for your Unication G-Series pager for under $15. Again, eastcoastpagers.com. That's eastcoastpagers.com. Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. So welcome back to Scanner School. If this is your first time here, do me a favor, let's hit the subscribe button, and this way the next week's episode will be sent automatically to your podcast player of choice. If you're a returning listener, I want to say welcome back. It's great to have you here. And this is a great, great episode for you to be listening to. This is an interview with Pete DeVasto. Now, Pete has been blind since birth, and he is a scanner user. Now, this is also a continuation of a question that came up last week in our Ask Scanner School segment. Now, Ask Scanner School is... Uh, a once-a-month segment that we run where we answer your questions. And again, if you have any questions for me that you'd like to have answered, you can go to scannerschool.com slash ask. And that is exactly what Tom Schill did. He asked about any text-to-speech programs that he could use or any software he can use from his text-to-speech software. That's the right way to phrase that uh, statement there. And he uh, is totally blind as well. So I basically teased this week's podcast because I had already recorded the interview with uh, with Pete. So uh, I kind of had this one up my sleeve. But there's a couple of things we I want to p- point out here before we really get started into the podcast. This is a great interview. I really enjoyed this interview with Pete, and we cover a lot of things. And we don't cover completely everything. This is really from Pete's um, perspective. This is um, you know how Pete gets around his disability, right? He's programming his scanners a certain way. He's using software. He's using text-to-speech. He's definitely hitting some obstacles, and we are talking about his 
personal obstacles when it comes to using his scanners on this podcast. Now, somebody else might have some different obstacles or may have other solutions. And if you'd like to chime in, again, we have uh, comments are more than welcome at scannerschool.com slash session 86, also on our Facebook group as well. Also, something to point out is when we, when we recorded this podcast, FreeScan was not yet in open source. It is now just recently added to an open source platform, which basically means there'll be a bunch of uh, people contributing to the code for FreeScan. So when we did record this, that wasn't the case, but it is now. So please don't be jumping up and down saying, hey, FreeScan is now open source. Yes, it is now open source, but when Pete and I did this interview, it wasn't yet released that it was going to be or was open source. Hope that makes sense. So now anyway, this is probably my most lengthiest interview we've done, but it's a very fast interview. At least that's what I think. I really enjoyed this interview with Pete. Hopefully you do too. Again, this is something that I have been wondering about for a while is how somebody who is limited in sight or somebody who is completely blind can use today's modern scanners because they are menu driven for most of the part. And it does require computer software to set up or is best left to set up with computer software. So Pete and I discussed this process. We go through it. Pete has a lot of tricks up his sleeve that he can use to help himself out. And again, and one of the more interesting things to realize and to keep in the back of your mind as you're listening to Pete talk, he programs his scanners by himself. He doesn't have anybody helping him out. He, he won't ask his wife for help. So um, it's very interesting to know that even though he's totally, totally blind, he's able to enjoy the hobby just like you and I. So again, this is a rather long interview. It runs over an hour. So I'll see you now on the other side of this interview with Pete DeVasto. Okay, so today we have Pete DeVasto on the podcast. I'm hoping I got his name right again. But, you uh, did. I did. Excellent. Thanks, Pete. So Pete contacted me directly uh, using the contact form on Scanner School, and this is actually Pete's idea for a podcast. So I'm, I'm very lucky, and I think we all too, that Pete came forward and wanted to uh, share his story because Pete's got a very, um, a very interesting story when it comes to scanning. So Pete, thank you very much for, uh, for being our guest today. You, it's really great to be here. Honestly, I've been looking forward to it. Okay, so to let the cat out of the bag a little bit, let's just—I um, mean, you are totally one hundred percent blind. Is I'm, that correct? I'm, there are a number of ways that people want to say it. I'm from the okay. old school. I'll just put it bluntly: I'm totally blind. I've been that way since I was born. Um, so I don't have any, um, you know, visual memories uh, or anything like that. But I. Um, I am retired. I grew up in the 50s and 60s, ironically, in New York. And um, I attended the public school system. I was first and only blind student in the schools. And uh, it was quite an interesting set of challenges. But that's a whole other story which we won't get into now. Okay, not a problem. <clears throat> so, yeah, we'll, we'll keep it related as much as we can to uh, to, scanner, to scanners and scanner radio. So how did you uh, get into the scanning hobby? Well, I lived in New York growing up. And... We happened to be right underneath the flight path for JFK Airport. So we had jets flying over all the time. And I used to love to listen to them. And 
initially I used to like to record, tape record the sounds of them. But then in 1968, um, one of the radio stations did a show because air traffic at JFK was getting congested. And they did a story where a pilot let a reporter fly in the cockpit of a plane from Burlington, Vermont to JFK. And part of the broadcast had conversations between pilot and air controller. And I'm thinking, geez, this is fascinating. I want to get into it. So in 1968, they were in scanners, but I was able to get a portable radio with a dial for tuning, and I was able to monitor the conversations between pilot and air controller. And that's what kind of got me started. Um, I can't remember exactly when I got my first scanner. I uh, moved out to California in the early 70s, and I went through a couple of more um, analog radios, you know, but then I started reading about crystal control scanners, and I thought, geez, I don't know if I want to get involved with that because you got to worry about rewinding crystals or doing this. And if somebody changes the frequency, you got to get a new crystal. And I said, no, I'm not going to worry about that. But then I learned about the Bearcat 2020, which was a, it had 40 channels and a little switch. So you had two groups of 20 channels, and I could flip the switch. So I had aircraft communications on one bank and police calls on the other. So that's kind of what got me started um, into it. Okay, so that's interesting. I, I figured that crystals would have been an easier path for you to go down, but um, it, to backtrack a little bit too, nothing has changed with JFK. Because <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm about 45 minutes away from JFK, and, and I mean, the, the flights do go overhead my house, but nothing like what they go over in certain areas of Nassau and Queens. So um, uh, they just keep rerouting them, and things do keep changing. But there's nights where, or more more days and, and evenings where it's just like, where did these planes come from all of a sudden? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're coming in all, all all the time. So nothing there has ever changed. So if you come back to Long Island or, or New York City, you'll feel right at home, like you never left. <laughs> so. Well, I'll tell you, what, I um, I have the live ATC app and. I have a confession to make. I love to tune in on JFK all the time, so I'm very familiar. <laughs> Excellent. So I'm just I'm just looking up the unit in 2020 right now. It's not really um, a, a radio that I am I'm familiar with, though. I think I have the uh, the oh, length wrong. So it was a, bear a, a so. Bearcat 2020. Ah, that's why I can't find it. So um, so that one had basically it was was it a dial and then a couple of switches or how did that one exactly no, work? It it actually had a keypad. Um, okay. it's your basic number keys and an enter key. And, um, so you would punch in a number and hit enter and boom, the frequency would be there. It had a knob for squelch and it had a volume knob. And I believe it even had like a lot of the older scanners did. You could turn the squelch switch off and it would have like kind of an auto setting to, um, get it as close to the, uh, drop off point as it could do. So, gotcha. um, so you basically had the two groups of channels. Then um, in the mid-80s, mid and I can't remember the model of this one, I want to say XL100, but it was a 16-channel handheld. Mm -hmm. And um, I was able to program that. It didn't have any uh, key beep confirmation tones, but I could still um, enter the frequencies I wanted. I could scan with it. And the coolest part was I could you know, take it to work with me. Or if I went to airports, I could, you know, tune in the frequencies and listen to what was going on. So that was, um, you know, that was the first handheld 
um, that I got. Um, I lasted with that actually for quite a while. I think it was probably not till the early 90s. Then I got a Radio Shack Pro 43. Okay. I don't remember how many channels. I think it was either 100 or 200. And I could still work with it because the, you know, you had, you know, manual scan, whole, you know, manual and, and those keys, but there was not much else. You could just um, key in frequencies and go from there. Of course, when any frequency would come up, I could never see what was on display, but it was okay because I could tell based on the traffic what, you know, what frequency I was listening to. Exactly. Um, okay. I was, just, I was going to just say too that um, that 2020 going back to because I don't like to, you know, leave anybody hanging. I, I just looked at that one and it's very familiar to me. I think my dad had the later version of that one, so you had the little toggle switch, the AB switch on it. Like you were just saying exactly. Um, the later ones didn't have that toggle switch, so I actually have one of those similar radios that it's sitting in my garage right now, and I haven't really been u- able to use it because it doesn't have the T band, which is exactly where I need it to be mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for some of the stuff I want to listen to. So it is definitely a dated radio, um, but I like what you said too about some of the other radios where it gave you the audio feedback, so you knew what you were, what you were, uh, you know, what 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 you were inputting and everything else like that as well. So um, I'll let you continue what you were going to well, say. Yeah, so it just like I said, I could enter like one, two, oh, point five, and it would beep for every key. So I'd know. Mm-hmm. And then it gave like a double or triple beep to say, oops, you made a mistake, you know, try again. So that was, you know, that was really nice. Um, when um, in the early 2000s, I guess that's when, you know, I, I was beginning to realize that I needed to get trunk systems. I, had a job that involved a two-hour commute on a rapid transit system that used EDAX. And, okay. of course, the Pro 43 didn't know what EDAX was, so I had to look for a radio that I could use. And the one that I settled on was the Radio Shack Pro 96. Um, it was not menu-driven. I could at least enter frequencies in programming a trunk system uh, was a little bit more difficult because you had to know all the parameters and had to manually enter them. But I also learned about a program called Win96 written by a guy, I think his name is Don Starr. Don, Don and, Starr, yep. Yeah. And he actually, I, I got the program on my computer and surprisingly, it actually worked with the special software that I have to use. And I can explain that a little bit more um, maybe later in the broadcast. Just yes, to get I've definitely flagged that to, to go back over. So we'll, we'll talk um, about that in a second. So, but the idea was that I could use the program to, um, in fact, I think, yeah, in fact, you could even download it from Radio Reference. And he had just enough in there so that I could use it. In fact, I contacted him and he worked with me to make a couple of additional modifications to the program so that like he had boxes for delay, lockout and priority, he was able to fix it so I could get a low beep for when it was not marked and a high beep for when it was marked so that That's I could neat. you know delay and priority and all that. So it really um I mean I love the radio it was it was uh it certainly satisfied my needs for quite a while. Um then I had an accident in 2011 where um, I made the mistake of having an external antenna connected to it and lightning got a little close and the scanner cried. <laughs> so I've learned my lesson about external antennas, I'll tell you. 
Um, but anyway, I, I wound up getting a GRE PSR 500. And this okay. was my first exposure to menu-driven scanners. Now, the PSR 500, of course, also was able to pick up um, some of the digital trunking systems, but it had what were called soft keys and menus and everything. And I knew almost immediately that I was going to be in trouble. But I did find software called PSR Edit 500, which, while not completely usable, was usable enough so that I could at least get it going and, um, you know, and do what I wanted. Um, I eventually wound up about a year later going back to eBay and I found some Pro 96s used in good condition that I, you know, went back to working with just because it was a lot easier for me to work with it. I could do searches while I was on the road. If I wanted to enter a new frequency on the road, I could do it. Um, I could never do that with the 500, but um, the 500 did serve needs for me, you know, at least when I was at home and when I was in the local area where I already had stuff programmed. Um, in, I guess, maybe last year, I mean, I moved to Portland, Oregon in early 2017, and last year, the public safety group went to P25 phase two, and of course the Pro 96 stopped working. Yeah. So I knew I had to do something. And now I knew I was really going to, um, I really didn't know what I was gonna do. I had had a friend who had, I think it was a 396, one of the guys I worked with, and he showed it to me, and it really scared me because, I mean, that was just as menu-driven as you could get. You couldn't do anything without it, without it, you know, without using the menus. Yeah. That... I figured, how the hell am I going to do this? Um, I decided um, Amazon had the 325 for a good price, and I, we are Prime members, and Amazon had a very good uh, policy about returning, so I thought, you know what? take the plunge, see what you can do. So I bought it. And before I bought it, I discovered Freescan. And I realized that Freescan looked like it was accessible and sounded like it would work with the 325. So with a lot of painstaking research after I got the scanner, um, I was actually able to get the scanner programmed, got my frequencies downloaded and imported stuff from radio reference and was able to use it. But there's an awful lot of limitation um, because I really cannot do a whole heck of a lot while I'm out and about. If, if I've missed a step somewhere and can't get a frequency in or whatever, it's very, very difficult to do. So um, it's a bit frustrating, but at least I have something to, um, to monitor you know, the public safety, which is what I wanted to do. And now also some of the airlines here are now using DMR. Mm -hmm. And so I got the DMR upgrade. And so I was able to get that installed. And one thing I'll tell you, um, that FreeScan has one nice feature that it does have is a virtual scanner control where you can basically bring up what comes up on the scanner screen on your computer screen. And my screen reader does pick it up so I can actually go through the menus while I'm connected to the computer. So that's how I was able to program the DMR systems in because FreeScan doesn't support that. So That's good. Yeah, so I was at least able to do that. But again, it's, it's really very, very limited. There's a lot of information that the scanner is giving me that I cannot and will not ever see. 
Um, I've also got, and this is the end of the story here, um, I bought because my primary area of interest is aircraft. And so um, I bought a BC-125. Um, okay. It's very easy to program. Uniden has software, which actually works very well with my computer. So I can program everything. And I the menus, while they're there, it's a little bit easier because there's not much on them and I can memorize what's in each menu and I get a beep every time I change position. So mm -hmm. sort of been able to get by um, with that radio. And so like if I'm going out for walks and whatnot and I don't need to hear the public safety stuff, I'll take the 325 with me and, um, you know, it served me very well. Right. In fact, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you you settled on the 125 and the 325 because as you're explaining everything and the menu-driven, and I think that menu-driven scanner you were talking about was probably the uh, the new Home Patrol, the uh, BCD 436, possibly. Maybe. It's it's I a long, know. long radio, uh, but that's like 100% software-driven with soft keys on the front, and that one would probably, you know, would probably be um, uh, a little bit difficult for you to use. But again, like you said, the 125, the menu system on it is very short. It's very easy. I use my three, my 125 really to do uh, NYPD and FDNY just because mm -hmm. I don't need the trunking with them. And it's just easy and it's 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 a small memory channel system. And even that 325, you're right about that one too. It's it's That's the one I would have gravitated towards you towards if you didn't have one picked out already because it it's the least uh, confusing radio to use out of all the ones that do p25 phase two at this point the way i feel um you know everything is pretty much at this point menu driven yep. from from whistler to the unit ins and it's, they're just getting more and more you know screen intense basically to say and i'm pretty happy to hear though that you were able to use free scan with your screen reader um i was wondering too i mean i know you've you gravitated toward free scan don't know if um i, I know you said also via emails that you were you tested out butel and ProScan, and they weren't uh, they weren't compatible with your screen reader either. But have you no. tried either one of those with the virtual display to see if your screen reader work with those as well, or mm. it was it just FreeScan? Oh, it's only been FreeScan because I mean I I gave up on both ProScan and Butel because um, there was just you know I it was even difficult to get to menus to get to where uh, you know where you wanted to go. I mean it just gotcha. Um, you know, and then the other problem too is they give you trials. The trial runs out. And, you know, then you're stuck. And right. what really is a bit frustrating to me, and I don't I don't want to sound like a, you know, bitter or complaining or anything. But the frustrating part to me was particularly with Butyl, I actually wrote to them and I asked them, you know, is there anything that you might be able to do with the software? Because I am a blind listener. I love scanning, but I can't use the software. Would you consider doing anything to make the software a little more usable with my screen reader and they flat out said no wow and so and i had you know it, it's just i have not contacted proscan yet the um you know i just haven't you know felt to do it um because i'm getting by with you know what i have to do but i mean most blind people um the one thing about me is without trying to toot a horn too loudly um i come from a 40 plus year career in the technology industry so um, I have a pretty good feel for the kinds of things that are going on, and I've learned, you know, lots of ways to get around things. But, you know, a lot of the blind community does not know how to do that through no fault of their own. It's just the way it is. And so, um, you know, it's it, it's 
very challenging. I don't know uh, how many other blind have actually tried to, um, um, you know, tried to use these scanners. Uh, like me, they may have been afraid to. It took me a very long time. Uh, the 325 has been around since like 2015. Um, but I have to say, uh, I've got to put in a plug here. There's just no comparison to the reception on the unit and scanners than what the Pro 96 was. I'm kind of sorry I didn't do unit in beforehand because there was a lot of stuff in the Bay Area I wasn't able to get, which if I'd had the unit and I would have. Okay, end of plug. <laughs> no problem. I was actually surprised, though, that you were saying that your 96 lasted as long as it did, and it took a lightning strike to get rid of it, as opposed to it just <laughs> kind of falling apart on its own. So uh, they get pretty beat up pretty quickly. What you so, don't know is the ones I got after it fell apart pretty quickly. Yeah, I have I have a, a 2096, which is the desktop version of that scanner. Okay. And, um, you know, the, the screen on it went, went bad on it. And, um, uh, I sent it back for repair. And of course, you know, it, after two or three weeks, the screen goes out on again. I say, I forget yeah. it, you know, it's so, so now that radio just kind of sits in a corner kind of thing. But, um, um, it, it's, I, I don't think that line, that product line was really good. I think the 97 was much better than you know, the Pro 97 and the Pro 95 was great, but whatever it was, that middle line, I think they just, they just didn't, they weren't on their they must have been drinking that night when they made that one. So Either that thinking they were going to go under, which they wound up doing. So who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's <laughs> anyway. a whole other thing. But uh, so, so the 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 software you're using, it's a screen reading software. How does that come with Windows, or is that something aftermarket that you had you had to purchase? It's with Windows. It's aftermarket. And if I may, okay. let me give a Reader's Digest version. Yes, please. Of what it's of what it's like to for me to use a computer without seeing the screen. And the basic way to think about it is unplug your monitor and take your mouse away. When you don't have a monitor, you can't see what's on the screen. When you don't have the mouse, you can't click on things. Most of the software that's written are, it's very graphical intensive. They want you to have the mouse, they want you to have the monitor. When you don't have those things, you know, it's not easy to do. So that's that's the short version of what happens. Um, on Windows, there are several different screen reading programs that are available. Um, two or three of them, you have to pay quite a bit of money for um, up to $1,000 a piece for them. Wow. There is one program that is free, that's up and coming. There's a couple of blind fellows in Australia that developed it. I actually met them a couple of years ago at a conference. They're really, really wonderful guys, and they've done quite a bit with it. And a lot of the blind community is embracing that program, but it's just not as robust as the uh, paid-for screen readers. Um, very briefly on Mac and on iPhones and whatnot, um, Apple has actually built in screen reading right into their program. In fact, um, I was honored to have been able to work with them for a few months as a contractor as they were just starting to get it off the ground. Um, they had me give them input on how the PC screen readers worked and so they got some ideas for how to do things. And the only reason I didn't stay there was because they wanted someone full-time who knew how to program in their language, which I did not know how to do. But so Apple has it all built in. Um, we're using Skype on my iPhone. And when you called, um, the phone spoke your name. And it was a very simple matter of just, um, you know, answering the call very quickly. So, um, but, so that, that's basically what happens as far as the screen readers go. Now, to make the screen readers work 
with software, basically two things need to happen. One, when you are trying to, let's say um, you're programming a frequency. There are obviously a number of parameters that you fill in. You do the frequency, you do the modulation, you do the uh, CTCSS if there is one. Mm -hmm. And the way you would have to do it if you didn't have a mouse is you have to use keyboard. So you press the tab key and it takes you, you start out in the frequency field, you type frequency, hit tab, then you're in the modulation field, let's say. Hit tab again, then you're in the lockout field. Then you hit tab again, you're in priority. But in addition to being able to do that, you have to get feedback from the computer to say, okay, you are on the frequency field, enter the frequency. You are on the modulation field. It's a dropdown. So you select AM, FM, or you know, whatever. So FreeScan does this to a certain extent. Um, it's not very reliable. It's a little bit tricky because they've not really clearly labeled all of the buttons. So it took a lot of hunting and pecking to realize, for example, how to set a quick key or a startup key because it wasn't telling me I was on the startup key. I had to kind of go up and down the list and, and figure out based on the choices I had, you know, what, what, um, you know, what thing I was on. So, um, but that's, so those are basically the kinds of things uh, that have to happen. And unfortunately, Butyl and ProScan, um, I, I don't have that capability. Um, I just can't see, um, you know, I can't see menus. I can't, even when I'm getting in to try to fill in information, I just can't, um, um, can't work with it. So, Gotcha. Um, so now that's that's kind of I guess that would be written into the code, like where where it's where the the dialog box would come up. It would have like the the on screen um, yeah. thing, but it would also have to have coded in there the 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 audio of that. Is that yeah, how that works? Have, there is a way, and and there are so many different program languages. I'm not a programmer, but what I do know is that there are ways you can create what are called labels. In other words, each field has a label like frequency, like modulation. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a way that you can code it so that instead of just appearing visually on the screen, um, the screen reader itself can pick up the information. And I, again, I'm not technical enough to know how it works, but that's basically the kind of thing that would have to happen. So, gotcha. Um, so that's pretty much, um, you know, this is how I pretty much, you know, will go through things. When I'm in FreeScan, when I go into a group and add channels, um, it does announce as I go through each channel. So it'll say um, channel name. Uh, I think it calls it display. Then it says frequency. Then it says modulation. So I do get... Um, a really good um, feel for what's going on. The other thing that someone did with that program is they developed what's called blind-friendly mode. It sounds kind of weird, but basically what they have done is when you have that mode, there are some additional things you can do with the keyboard. Like if you want to add a system, you do Control-Shift-S. When you want to insert a channel, you do Control-Shift-I. So they've tried to, a little bit at least, to make it so that I, as a blind person, can you know can work with the program, which is nice. Gotcha. It sounds like when you use a screen reader program, it's a lot like using uh, before Windows, right? You had you had DOS and everything was just you know, exactly. tab tab tab, and 
So when you were talking about that, it's like it just reminds me of a program of some older DOS-only radios. Um, and even still, even as you know, a, a visual user, I still find myself using the keyboard shortcuts a lot more than I end up using a mouse because uh, I did develop carpal tunnel. So for me to use the mouse sometimes can be very painful, especially for repetition type of work. So I also find myself gravitating towards keyboard shortcuts using tabs and, and stuff like that. So okay. um, I, I, feel, I understand when you say you, have, you can only enter things using the keyboard. To me, I'm right at home with that. <laughs> so okay. And I, 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 kind will tell, of... I will tell you that um, I have actually had other people tell me, um, just like you, there should be more than that. The other nice thing about being able to use the keyboard is you don't have to take your hands off the keyboard to go to the mouse, move it around, find what you want, and go back to typing again. Um, Correct. And the, 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 the biggest issue seems to be because I worked for a leading software company uh, in the Bay Area on accessibility to try to make their products usable for the blind. And the biggest problem has always been when you're talking about writing the software is they do not consider this kind of thing as a priority. They want to make things look pretty visually. And so they'd rather concentrate on that. And if you don't build it into the program at the beginning, it's a little harder to add. Right. So they're looking the, at, you know, unfortunately, the, like the, you know, with the market, the, the largest audience and they start exactly. backtracking through it. Yeah, I can understand that. Yep. So, but. But that's, you know, that's if FreeScan ever goes open source, maybe there will be someone. And I had heard that there was talk about that. I know the developer doesn't appear to be doing anything more with the program now, but I had heard a few months back anyway that they were considering making it an open source program which basically, for those who don't know, it means that anyone can take the program and add some code to it and make it available to the general public. And, you know, what would be really cool is if there would be some developer out there who would take on the challenge of saying, you know, how can we clean this up to make it, you know, to make it work better? Yep, that would definitely be good. Cause I, I, I definitely heard that same rumor that development on FreeScan has stopped. That's why at this point, too, there's been no work on uh, DMR systems being added to it, even though DMR has been able to be programmed in radios for quite some time. Um, and I've also heard, too, that he was talking about the possibility of making open source. And that would be great, too. I mean, just for, you know, for what you need it for. Maybe somebody else can come in there and they can clean it up and they can update it and whatnot. Uh, yeah. But, again, too, it sounds like Butel has uh, – I mean, I know they're patching the software. So they are making bug fixes and bug releases, but it sounds like what you what you're saying is if they didn't put the um the text to speech in from the get go, it's kinda of difficult to add it back into it. So I'm wondering if that's what I'm I'm just speculating what a stumbling block is. But um again, going back to ProScan, uh I know Bob is very, very active in coming out with new releases to ProScan and I think he just released version fifteen dot two, if not mistaken. So um he is actively coming out with, with uh with large upgrade steps on the software as well as minor software. So, you know, he's adding, constantly adding the new software versions on, I mean, the uh, hardware. So now ProScan supports the STS-100, STS-200. And then he added, you know, the, the, the ability to use DMR and XDN on those radios. Then he added the European versions of them. So he is constantly stepping up. Now, again, those might just be turning off and on type of handshakes. Like if you expect this, then, you know, then do that. So if you already coded in, you know, the, the 436 and the 536 to code in the STS-100-200 might just be as simple as changing a couple things on the GUI and then, you know, the handshake protocol, yeah. like when it when it says this is what the radio is and accept it. But um, I, I can't speak for him um, other than, the, you know, the one or two times I've actually had an email back and forth with him. He's very, very receptive. 
but again, ProScan is very, uh, it's got a lot of tabs. It's got a lot of information on the screen. It's got a lot of places where even I, as a visual user, get lost in there because it does do a lot of stuff. It's not just for programming. It's programming, logging, recording, um, you know, streaming, and a whole bunch of other stuff that you probably would never even uh, touch on that software if you're just sticking to the programming side. But that might be, you know, unless there's another free version of something out there or open source type of thing. And unfortunately, it sounds like your best bet would probably have something on a Mac because it does have a lot of good uh, text to uh, text to speech on it already built into it that um, just but doesn't there's really no out there for the Mac. <laughs> you know? Sadly, there's no software to program a scanner yeah. on. I, I know, I know. That's, yeah. that's, it seems like no. it's just every 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 way that could be that could be a roadblock for you. It seems like there's uh, there's, there's something in your way. <laughs> I really do hate to sound complaining, but you know this is uh, unfortunately the way it has been for me. I'm I'm just very blessed that I've been able to at least get this far with it, so I can enjoy you know some of the hobby. Right now, let's let's talk about how you've gotten this far with it. So obviously, when you do the programming, uh, you're listening to. I mean, you you kind of have the keyboard mapped, you know, and you know what buttons you're pressing based on the way they feel and and their placement. I mean, the number pad basically the one one through nine and zero basically never changes, right? That's kind of right. Uh, universal. It's just really learning where the lockout keys are, priority keys, the power button keys, um, and then that kind of stuff. And, and just with time, I guess you would just remember where where all those keys were. That's um, exactly. But how is it like? You know, take take us through the process. You got a radio, and now you have to learn how to use it. I mean, what what? How do you uh, get accustomed to the radio, and how do you learn how to use it? I mean, obviously the um, the manuals, the print manuals. Uh, unless you can read the PDF uh, and grab the PDF online and read it text to speech, how are you navigating a radio and learning how to operate it? Okay, you said the magic words by being able to download and read the PDF versions of the manual. Because fortunately, the those manuals, um, Adobe has done a lot to make reading PDF manuals accessible, and so I can pull down. I, I've got all the manuals for all of my scanners pulled down, and so that's how I start uh, reading it. Um, with the 325, um, I didn't really have to get that much sighted help because the keys were not, like you said, it's just a matter of that left-hand row, which has scan, search, um, hold, lockout, and menu. Those are the ones I really needed, you know, to learn where they are. Um, so basically what I can do, FreeScan allows me to, um, import stuff from radio reference. And then um, actually I kind of have to take this stuff outside of FreeScan. I can go to like a group, like let's say um, I'll download all the frequencies from the Portland airport, which I'm, I'm at. And okay. um, the radio reference import comes down with about 12 or 13 frequencies because it's got everything, tower, ground approach and all that stuff. But if I don't want to do that, one thing that FreeScan does allow me to do is it allows me to take the whole group, copy everything using copy and paste, put mm -hmm. it into Notepad, which is the computer program to, you know, just write text files and whatnot. And so then I can manipulate roles, um, roles rows and um, put them in the order that I want and then import them back into FreeScan so that like at, for Portland, I've got one for the tower frequencies, one for ground and clearance livery, one for approach. So I can, you know, I can segregate um, the stuff the way I want to. Um, and then what you can also do with the 325 is you can assign number tags. So mm -hmm. that if I want, if I know I want to listen to the Portland Tower, 
I can just, you know, code in the number tag, in other words, system number dot number tag, and I can, you know, bring up uh, the tower. The only one time I get into a lot of trouble with the 325 is, and this is a very well-known bug, I think, um, if you're scanning and you inadvertently take out the last group within a system you're scanning, the scanner says nothing to scan and you can't pull it back unless you go through the menu system to, to um, you know, to bring back the, the, you have to reselect the system and re-enter the group. It's, it's a complicated process. I don't want to necessarily go into it here, but um, I've gotten myself into trouble a couple of times, but I've, you know, learned how to get out of it. But basically, um, yeah, I, you know, have to very carefully study the manual. And what I did was I just programmed a very few conventional frequencies. I did, you know, a couple of groups, a couple of systems, just so that I could understand how to move between systems and then between groups within the system, you know, if I wanted to do that. Then I, you know, I moved on to trunk systems. And once I realized that I could use FreeScan to do virtual scanner control, that was a tremendous help because um, I could at least see what I was landing on and, and whether, you know, especially when you're on the trunk systems, you really need to know, um, you know, what talk ID you're on so you know what you're listening to. Right. Yeah, definitely. That was that was another question I had for you, too. I mean, you, you talked about it earlier, like you knew what you were listening to based on who was transmitting. So, I mean, obviously, when you're listening to aviation, there's no, I mean, you know what you're listening to. Uh, but I guess, you know, listening to PD, you know by, by PD based on the types of calls and the unit numbers you're listening to and all that stuff as well. Not um, Time, but that's what you're supposed to be able to do. Right. Um, so that's what I was going to ask you about. So, I mean, is it, it's not that easy then? No, absolutely not. Um, okay. If I don't have the scanner, I can make a best guess. I mean, not if I don't have the scanner. If I don't have the computer, um, I have to make a best guess as to what I'm listening to. But I do have number tags assigned. So if I want fire dispatch, I can punch in that number tag and just be listening to it. But sometimes, um, you know, you've got the fire call and then they go to attack channel and um, sometimes they're between three and four channels and it's a little bit harder to, um, you know, to scan back and forth. And you have everything mapped in there with a system and I mean, an ID tag, everything in there is, um, is, everything is set that up I or? To, yeah, I have, I've okay. signed number tags to them. Um, it's, gotcha, but not it's everything only, though. Well, I don't have everything. If, if, if I'm okay. not, if I don't care and I just want to go through something just to listen to what's happening. No, but if I've got, systems that I want to pay particular attention to, I've got number tags on everything. Okay. And how do you organize it as well, too? Because I know even with, even, you know, with, with a lot of stuff, too, you have the system key, the, and, and then you have the group key, then obviously you have this, the uh, the ID key. Um, right. How do you normally group them together so you know what you have enabled and disabled on the scanner? Well, the system level, um, let's see, I forget how many system, oh, yeah, you can have 100 system quick keys. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'll do is, like, um, like I've got system number one is the local airport. System number two is public safety. System number three is the port of Portland, which I can monitor some of their operations at the airport. Number four is railroads. So what I do is I, I have a major category for each one. And then within each system, um, I will say like within the Air Portland airport, let's say group number one is tower. Group number two is delivery and ground. Group number three is approach departure. Group number four is airline. So you have, um, you're a little limited because you only have like 10, uh, 10 groups, yeah. groups, but it's enough. I mean, for what I've needed to do. And if I, if I have to consolidate, you know, I'll do it. Um, 
one thing I've just started getting, uh, I don't travel very much right now, but I, I've done a little. And one of the things that I found is really neat on the 325 is the startup key concept, if you know what you're doing, where right. you can take, um, I just went to Los Angeles a little while ago. So I brought in all the Los Angeles airport stuff and gave them a different startup key. Like my main startup key is number one and that's what comes up all the time. But then when I got to LA, I would hit startup key number two. And so all I needed to worry about was the LA airport stuff, which was, it was kind of cool to be able to isolate that. Um, the only thing I had to remember was that my system um, quickies were like 11, 12, 13, right. not three and four, but um, it worked very well until I, pressed the wrong key and hose the scanner but fortunately i had the 3d125 with me so i was able to still get enough out of it but i'm sure a lot of people have had problems with the 325 where you do things and it takes a little while to get out of it in fact um, i have a friend in the bay area who got a 325 after he found out i got one and we've been back and forth we've been helping each other out with stuff because of, of situations we've gotten into you know, what's nice too about those radios too is if you ever do get yourself into a spot where you get to get stuck, you can just rewrite to it with the computer and just start off from a GNOME configuration where, you know, you can yep. kind of kind of reset yourself and, and get yourself grounded again. So it sounds like, though, you've got yourself, uh, you got these radios figured out better than most people do, to be honest with you. I know a mm -hmm. lot of people who, who uh, like myself, for a lot of the menu-driven uh, scanners, I don't even bother using system keys because I just use the menu system because to me, it, to memorize where everything is and to, put, and to punch keys, um, I can cycle to this, through the the, um, the systems and, and, and turn things off and on. But for the radios that do have systems, a lot of times I don't program in the groups with, with keys on them at least because I always found out that it was um, – a lot of people are turning those off on by mistake because they where you rest that function button where where your thumb is on the side of that. Um, a lot of people didn't realize they were pressing the function button and they were turning the groups off and not turning the systems. So that got to be a bit of a struggle for a lot of people as well. So um, smiling here because I've done that too many <laughs> times. There. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So so then I guess I'm, I'm um, I want to say preaching to the one, choir, but yeah, go ahead. I have one thing I would like to say, and this is kind of a thing if if. I mean, if I could have the world on a silver platter and get everything I wanted, the one thing I wish could happen, and I don't know how easy it would be to do with these things, but if there were a way that these scanners could have a chip inside where you could, with a certain keystroke, you could turn it on so that as you're going through the menu, it would announce the menus as you're going through it. It would announce each item as it's selected. Um, I know that they're doing it in so many other devices. What I don't know is what are the hardware limitations inside the scanner? Would there be you know, room to do something like that? Um, the other thing, failing that, would be if I could get a list, like for the 325, um, more for the 325 than the 125, but for either one of them, I would love to get a list of like when I, um, I'm going to use the 125 as an example because it's a little easier. Um, there's like four different priority settings. You do um, function one and it puts you into a menu. So you have either priority off, priority do not disturb. Um, and then there's like a couple of other options. Right. If I could priority get a only. list. Of, yeah. yeah. If I could get a list of, in other words, if you press and go into this menu, here are the choices. Because what the scanners do and, and both the 325 and the 125 do this. 
they give you a double beep when you're at the top of the menu. So you know you're on the first choice. And then as you turn the knob, you get a single beep until you get to the bottom and it wraps back around to the top with a double beep so I know I'm back at the top again. So that if I had a list of the menu choices, um, I would know like if I hear the double beep and I want, let's say I want priority um, priority only, which is the second choice down. That's an example, I may not be exactly right. I would know to hear the double beep, then turn the knob two clicks, and I know I'm on the option that I want. But it, you know, it, the manual, I don't trust in terms of having, they list all of the choices, but I don't trust that the choices are in um, order on your menu. Right, so the I, print doesn't no, match the actual <laughs> software. And of course, that can always change too, and they come back to another software rev, uh, they add things to the menus. I mean, they yeah. do that right with the SDS 200. They added filters into there that didn't exist yeah. in the manual. Yeah. So yeah, I no. hear you. And it's it's a shame too because if you think about it, you're spending you know a couple hundred dollars on a scanner, and exactly what you say here with the menu text to speech in the menu, the twenty five dollar Baofeng radio does that. Every time you push a button, it tells you menu, and it goes through the steps and it tells you what's on or what you do when you change your channel. It'll say. Uh, you know, channel 35, channel 36, channel 37. Uh, when you push the buttons, it'll tell you, you know, one, two, three, four. That's a twenty-five dollar wow. radio, you know. And again, conventional only, but you know, it's interesting. It, yeah, it is kind of a shame that um, uh, that the couple of dollar hardware, you know, scanner doesn't doesn't do that. And I think that'd be something they could probably just code into it. That um, you know, they they enable something like that. And, and again, that. It may be able to ride right there on the firmware of the software because you've already got a speaker on it. So yeah. it's not like you know they need to do anything else additional to it or anything like that. But um, yeah, that'd be some. Have you have you written into Whistler or uh, um, to, to Udit about that at all? I haven't recently. Um, a couple of years ago, I actually went through Scanner Master, and I think they I forget who they contracted, whether it was Unidin or Whistler. This would now have been two or three years ago, and mm. they. Uh, did not get very much of a response. I don't know what would happen now if I if I um, if I contacted them. Um, gotcha. I really don't know. So I've okay. not done it. Well, I'll I'll do my best. I'll be sure that I might when I tag this podcast episode, I'll be sure to tag both Whistler and Uden as part of the podcast, and maybe we'll give a little bit of attention to them as well to uh, to take a listen to this one, and uh, maybe they'll have something for you to test out or not. I mean, I'm just you know wishful thinking here. Eye in the but, sky. Uh, I get it. Fine. Yeah. I, that i really do but um so i'm going through the list here of the things we talked about so obviously with the new scanners you you need something that doesn't have a lot of the menu driven which is um or a lot of screen time menu driven i think is is as long as it's basic menus you're you're comfortable with that but when it comes Mm -hmm. to the new radios that's completely menu driven um like the home patrol platform that's just i mean even you can get lost in there i mean personally i get lost in there um and then you talk about how you program, and I think that's very interesting too. I think it was a very creative way of going through what you've done, is by taking the information out of radio reference, pasting it into Notepad, and then being able to play with the data in Notepad. And then you can just paste it back in to uh, FreeScan using the import. Now, have you tried using software like um, this software that's called uh, Notepad Plus uh, Plus, and and that one is it's kind of like Notepad on steroids. It does allow you to play with columns. And you can actually select an entire text column and then delete that column. So instead of bringing it to a, through a spreadsheet program, you can keep it as a flat file in Notepad. 
don't know how well that works as far as text to speech for you, but that is open source. So this there is might interesting be bring that up because um, I am on a um, <clears throat> excuse me a beta test list for the screen reader I use, and they have talked about using this program. I have not tried it yet because I didn't realize what its capability is. Now you're inspiring me to do that. Yeah, I use it a lot because um, I, I find an issue with just flat notepad. Sometimes it doesn't do the line uh, carriage returns properly. Right. So you have to bring it to like WordPad and copy out of WordPad and then bring it back into Notepad. Uh, but but Notepad++ does a really good job at, at that. And plus it has programming languages in there that I, I don't use programming languages. But if you were to, it would, it would highlight you know the brackets and, and stuff like that to make it easier to figure out where you are in the in the format of the of the file. But I like it just because of the fact that. Um, it does allow you to play with a text file as if it was a database file or an Excel file mm -hmm. and allow you to just make, take out columns or rows. If you had to uh, find and replace, it's, it's very com uh, configurable with the find and replace. So if you wanted to find a tab uh, and then replace it with commas, it could easily do that, although you just save it as a comma delimited file instead of a tab file. But um, that might be an easy way to d bring in the radio reference information and then... Uh, you know, change the, the, the last column where it's got, I think, the description, right? The fire attack, yeah. fire dispatch. You don't need that when you import it into – so you can just take yeah. that whole column and, and knock exactly. it out probably. So especially if it's open source, they may have the ability to have somebody work on – if it's not – I don't know if it's in there or not. That program does a, a whole lot of things. But um, to, to go back on what we were talking about here, just, just to be able to take the data out of radio reference, put it into something you can use – and then bring it into so that's what you do, right? You use yeah, use the, do. Uh, the copy use, from paste uh, paste from clipboard. Is that have, what you do? Um, it's it's called Easy Grab. Easy. That's right. Grab. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really nice because you can even define, but it only gives you a certain number of columns that you can define. Yes, but yes. if you can manipulate the data the way you want it, um, you could get an awful lot more in there than I'm getting now. So um, that's something that would definitely be worth um, looking into. Um, right. And the one thing I would say, though, is this method would only work with FreeScan. I do not think it would work with ProScan or Boodle. So uh, I have not tried it because I now I'm not able to because I don't have uh, trial versions anymore. But um, I want people to know that the only way you can do this is with FreeScan. Although I also can do it with the BC125 program that Uniden has. Um, basically, it saves your configuration in a text file that you can send to Notepad. In fact, I just did a major uh, move of a block of about 15 frequencies from one bank to another. It took me like less than five minutes. And if you do it within the program, that doesn't work. So if you do right. it in Notepad, it, it, it works good. So I um, think the last time I used Butel's <laughs> own software, it was for the 785 or the 780, and it was just it was a mess back then. So mm -hmm. I've kind of walked away from that. Right. Uh, but uh, it, it sounds it sounds like it, it is helpful for you in, in that in that uh, in that way. Uh, so then I guess the other question is too though. Besides listening to it and and like we were talking before, you know, knowing you had dispatch because it was a PD. Um, how do you keep track though of what banks you've turned off and what banks you've turned on, or or just what you know? How do you know how the radio is configured that when you turn it on, it's it's where you need it to be? Just by I mean, obviously it's a lot of listening, but I mean, well. I have to have a good memory, which thankfully I still have. If if brain cells start to erode later on, I could be in trouble. And a lot of times, I it's true, I don't remember. And a lot of times I have to go back to the computer um, and use FreeScan to, to see where I'm at. Um, 
what I try to do is to leave as few banks open as possible, uh, just so that I can remember where I was and and you know try to bring back in what I want. I just have to remember, um, you know, what numbers I've assigned to the different systems. So um, to answer your question, how do I do it? Very carefully. Okay. And again, I'm sorry if these are some stupid questions too, because you know this is just um, it's. It's a very, like I said, it's a very interesting topic to me. I've, I've kind of always wondered this because, again, a lot of the radios are, you know, they're they're they're, they're visual, you know. So um, definitely something I was curious about for a long time. And, and know uh, that none of your questions, none of your questions are stupid. You're you're doing just fine. Great, thank you. And then the other question, I might I might ruin that now though, because um, I have a lot of customers that, that have this problem when I program the radios for them, and this this ends up being a big tripping point to a lot of people. And I might say these two words, and it might it might make you uh, cringe a little bit, but uh, close call. Has that ever tripped you up as well? I never use it. Okay. Well, okay, good. Because I know um, a lot of people, they, they accidentally turn it on, and then they can't figure out, first of all, how they've turned it on, and then how to turn it off. So, um, that actually happened to me when I first got the scanner. And this was like now, over a year ago. And um, I actually think FreeScan was able to help me turn it off um i've never i'm ashamed to admit it but i've never completely understood close call and how useful um it really would be so um i i have not used it at all it sounds like a wonderful feature but i just haven't found uh, a reason for me to for where i would use it gotcha yeah so because because you had me think about that too when you talk about the priority mode right because you have multiple priority modes you have priority yes. only priority plus uh whatever whatever the other menus are but it's the same story yeah. when it comes to close call you have uh close call do not disturb which basically would mean uh when you're scanning something it doesn't go and look for a close call frequency or actually when you're when you're monitoring a frequency that you that you have on it's not going to leave that frequency to look for something that's close call um, I think you have close call priority, and then there's another one that, that's skipping my mind right now. But basically what close call uh, is for, and it, here's an example of exactly how I've used it in the past, which have worked out extremely well, is uh, I've, I went to go see a, uh, a Marine Corps demonstration team at the local park. So what they do is they fly the helicopters in, they do a quick staging. Uh, some of the troopers, they, they, um, they, they uh, rappel down. From the from the uh, hovering helicopter, mm-hmm. they do their their formation and then the helicopters land. But the helicopters are circling around where you can't hear them or see them. So they're basically they're staging somewhere a couple miles out, and then they come in when they got the clear. With the close call, the scanner locked in on them coming in. So I was able to then know you know that the helicopters were coming in, and I could listen exactly to all the pilots talking between them. And that was probably the best situation I've ever used close call in uh, because the following year, even though I had the frequencies from the previous year, they changed frequencies and they had them on the PA system so you can hear them. But, you know, me being me, I had to bring the scanner with me and uh, dropping it into close call mode. I was able to immediately find where they were. Uh, another situation where that comes into play, too, is I live not too far off from a parkway, the Southern State Parkway. Oh, yeah. So. And uh, I'm about eight blocks north of there. So every once in a while, we'll get a traffic helicopter that's just hovering overhead. Now, of course, I could put in the traffic you know, helicopters and listen to them. I could just scan aviation and try and find them. Or because I can physically see them, I just put the close call on there. And I just wait for them to key up and give their news report. 
And of course, because it's line of sight and it's so close, the uh, the scanner locks right in on them, and uh, I'm able to hear that transmission. I think I, was, I can double check it and, and make sure it's the right frequency I'm used to seeing them on. But yeah. that's that's a real good example of, of it, where you know close call would work. It's a good example, but if I'm understanding correctly, doesn't close call give you an alert that the frequency is there, and then you have to actually do something to listen in on it? It depends. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so. so there comes another minor problem when you can't see the uh, screen. But, right. Uh, well, what it does tell you is it, it gives you a double or a triple beep when it has found a frequency, and oh, then okay. you, you have to press enter to tune into it. So normally what happens to me is I'll have the scanner away from me. By the time I run over to the radio, it's already gone past that screen. <laughs> so yep. that's why I yep. can't tune in. So it is it is frustrating on that side. I wish it would just go there and stay there. I'm sure there's a way to do that, but uh, for my needs, it's it's worked out well enough. Where uh, sure, I just got to make sure the radio is in my hand. And of course, the energy key you know, obviously hasn't changed in years where it's where it's sure. been. So, yeah. uh, but it does it does alert you. It does give you a double or a triple beep, and you push E. Uh, the only trick was really that sometimes it auto stores, and that's I've that's where it could be painful. That up, yeah. Mm-hmm. That'd be painful uh, because now suddenly you have this extra frequency bank now that's turned on. It's not mapped to a key that you can never turn off. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, even even as someone, even with someone with sight, it's it's still very frustrating. So I can only imagine how much worse it is. Um, you know, when when you can't physically see what you're doing with the scanner. So, and again, I feel, um, I do feel frustrated for you because just knowing like, you know, how much more advanced these scanners are from where. They were a decade ago and two decades ago and, and even three, right? I mean, more than that when you started. Um, not to make you feel older and like that, but um, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it's, I didn't mean it in a bad way, but. No, I know. I, I, Trust me, I, I hear you. <laughs> you know, and, and here I'm thinking too, I mean, to be honest with you, when you said you had started with the scanning and, I, I, and, and you completely went over the crystal stuff. Uh, to me, I thought that's exactly where you would have started because, you know, each frequency would have had a switch that you or, yeah, each frequency would have had a switch that you would have flipped up or down. And I just assumed being, you know, just assuming something and, and, and being naive about it was I assumed that that's how you got started with it because you'd able to run your fingers across the front of the scanner and say, OK, channel one, three, five and seven are all turned on. Mm-hmm. And you knew what they were just by just by running your fingers across it. So to me, that's where, you know, it was like, well, how are you doing it now with the new, you know, the new scanners that have synthesized that it's and, and well, even worse than that now going, you know, with all the trunk stuff and, and 99 or a hundred, you know, banks. And how do you just, how do you, how do you keep track? You know, a four channel scanner, an eight channel scanner, 16 channel scanner, where it's all dips, dip switches type of thing. But I mean, it sounds like you've got this figured out better than most of us. So. No, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the one good thing too is it's if if you um, when you're on either the uh, unit and scanners, if you um, there's one thing about groups within a system, but if you have like two or three systems and you take them all off, you do get a beep that says um, nothing to scan. But if you just mm-hmm. re-enable one of the systems, it's fine. So that part is not. Uh, not as frustrating. So I can always, in fact, um, on the 125 particularly, if I don't remember uh, where I was, I just have to kind of experiment with buttons and systems I think I had going. And eventually I can get to the point where I have a clean slate and bring in, uh, you know, what I want to do. Right. And I'm thinking back to like some of the other scanners that did uh, trunking and conventional together. Uh, Like again, the 780, the 75, the 898, uh, some of those earlier generations where you would have a, a scan list 
right? Or, or a scan yep. bank. Then you'd have a trunk scan list, which was internal to that. And if you turned off the wrong buttons, you would actually lock out the entire trunk side of it. And then, or if you didn't put conventional frequencies in and all you have is trunking in the bank and you start locking out to conventional banks, now all of a sudden you have a trunk bank only on, it was almost impossible to get out of the trunk bank to turn the other conventional banks back on because you got locked into this, uh, this trunk system scan list. Wow. So yeah. And I, before I actually figured out my way around it, which was basically put a dummy frequency and conventional into that bank. So like every, every bank in those scanners that I would program up that would have just a trunking in it, I would put like, you know, 900 megahertz in there just, or 800, just something in there that was an unused frequency that I could load the squelch on. And when I heard the squelch, I knew I was back in conventional mode and I could turn that bank off or turn other banks on. Um, but before I did that though, I would have to rewrite the radio because it was almost, it was almost impossible to, to get other banks back on. I guess you could turn the trunk off by pressing the trunk key, but I think, I think you've definitely saved yourself a lot of struggle in the hobby by skipping over all those. I think, I think sticking with the pro 96 during that time frame, I think saved you, <laughs> kept you in the hobby and then coming over now to the 325 where it's dynamic memory, as opposed to being a hard coded, uh, you know, hundred channels and 10 banks, those kinds of things. I, I think, um, I, I think to be honest with you, I think you would have just frustrated yourself to the point of giving up on it way back yeah. when. Um, so uh, for anyone who is uh, happens to be low vision or blind that might be listening to this, you brought up a good point that I want to um, I want to embellish on because when you talk about figuring which banks are active or not, many many is the time that I will program a dummy frequency like a weather frequency or an ATIS frequency or something that I know is going to be on all the time. And what's nice about the newer scanners is you have temporary lockout so that if you if you don't remember you have a bank on or if you turn a bank on or think you turn the wrong bank on or turn a new bank on, you can lock out the frequency for that bank and know that when you turn it off and on again, um, you know, if you made a mistake, you'd know that that bank was still enabled because the uh, the, the dummy frequency is, is still on there. That's a um, for anyone who might be wanting to do this. That's another nice trick. To, to add a dummy frequency to different banks. Yes, that's that's a great great idea. It's something that you know what it is, and uh, but then it could confuse you because if it's part of another scan list, then do you know if you're in the bank or or so I could see where that could that could hurt you and help you at the mm-hmm. same time. Well, you just have to find <laughs> different things like the the three twenty five gets FM, so you could actually oh, add there you go FM frequency to different systems and groups. You could do all kinds of things. I guess yeah. I mean, you got to be creative with it. So that's that's you do. excellent. You, you absolutely. Yep. So let's let's flip this a little bit. We we did talk about um, some of the uh, the ways that you're you're getting by, right, with, with the scanners yep. and the software. So we talked about though how you wish that you had uh, text to speech in the scanner, so you knew what you were doing. Uh, you talked about some of the software that you wish it was more compatible with text to speech. So let's say you are able to build yourself your dream scanner and software suite to go along with it. For somebody in your, in your shoes, what would be uh, something you would, you would love to have, something that would make it more accessible for you, and something that would just make life a whole lot easier if to get just to getting in the hobby, staying in the hobby, and enjoying the hobby on, on a whole nother level for you? 
the wheels are turning. Can't you hear them? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is, um, this is your platform right now. So if you have a wish list or if there's something you would think about, I mean, I, I would really hope that that this would be the point that a manufacturer will listen up and, and take note. So this well, is where I want you to just to, to go for it. Um, a lot of this is going to be a rehash of what that's fine of, of, of what I've already talked about. But I think um, probably the first important thing is that since so many blind and low vision people are using computers and since there is software available to program these scanners, the software should be able to announce where you are on the screen um, so that you can you know, know what you're entering and be able to allow you to move around using the keyboard um, when you go, say, from system to system or group to group. Um, the virtual scanner control is a wonderful feature to have as well. Um, it's a little bit hokey free scan to use with my uh, screen reader because I use Braille, so that makes it a little bit easier um, because I can keep my Braille display in one place as I'm going through menus and see what's going on. But a lot of people don't use Braille, so we'd have to develop some kind of a way that um, you could position the screen reader on the part of the menu that you're working with if you're um, if you're going that route. Um, but I think you know it's doable. But I think basically um, to be able to hear where you are as you're working on a system or group that is paramount with, with the software so that you, you know what you're doing. Um, as far as the scanner itself, um, obviously with the menus as complicated as they are, you need to have some kind of spoken feedback. When I press that menu button, I wanna know, like on the 325, it'll say program system. If I turn the knob once, it'll beep and say program location. If I pro turn the knob again, it'll say, close call search or you know, whatever it is. And then when I enter, I need to be able to drill into the submenus um, and um, you know, hear what's going on. Um, there is pretty good confirmation um, about knowing when you have like systems turned on and off, you do get a beep every time you press a key. It's just because you can't see or hear what's on the screen. Maybe there could be a way that you could press a particular key sequence and it could tell you, like if you press hold, it could tell you what channel you're on. Um, this way I would know, um, you know, I could know where I am. In fact, it's interesting, free scan when you do scanner control, somebody put an option in there to say speech synthesize group names so like when or frequent you know ids is what happens so like if i'm scanning and i'm on um fire dispatch it will come back and say fire dispatch as the scanner tunes in which is really kind of cool i wish that kind of thing could be in the scanner itself um that's that's a that's a pretty neat idea i didn't think of, i was thinking more of the menus but yeah just even to take text to speech on the alpha tag or the description would be amazing yep just so you know where you are um in a manual or even on radio reference, I mean, radio reference has got, it's a wonderful website. We all know that. Um, and there are wiki pages that talk about the different scanners. Um, there could be a possible place where we could take, like they, they have pages on each of the scanners and maybe there could be a, um, 
a page that says, here are the menus. Here's how you get to them. When you get to the menu, these are the options you have. And you could have tips on, like, when you turn the knob, you hear a beep. And so if you go down, one beep means program system. One, the next beep is program location. Just so you know, like, how many times to go down to get where you need to go. Like on the 125, if I go into settings and I want to go to contrast, if I turn the knob and maybe it beeps three or four times, I forget what it is. If I had a list of menu items in front of me, I would know how many times to go down and, you know, maybe adjust the contrast or whatever I'd want to do if I want to do it. Um, so that would be another um, another wish thing. Um, now I really can't think of a whole lot else at this point. Um, those would be um, the biggest things. Um, some of the manuals, and that's whether you said it or not, some of the manuals I know are a little bit more difficult to read. I know that there's a whole website with easier to read manuals, and that mm -hmm. um, that does help a little bit, although um, the manuals are so, the pages are very big, and there were certain guidelines that should have been followed when they wrote the page where it's not as easy to get around using a screen reader and that's more technical than I want to get into. Um, for, but like if you go to a link and press enter on it, which is what you have to do to a screen reader, um, there's just too much content for the screen reader to um, bring that part of the page up. And there are also ways that you can write the code to put what are called headings, which means uh, a heading is basically um, different size of print like a heading one is large print heading two is smaller so you can you know further divide your stuff and if there were more headings in there you could more quickly get to the part of the manual that you want but mark's done a pretty good job of trying to um rewrite the manuals so that they're in a more logical order to to be able to understand what's going on particularly with the uh with the 325 so um but the manuals um, if maybe more care could be taken to their list when they're talking about the menus um, to make sure that the options they list are in the order that appear on the menu, um, that would be a very big help. And then if you're going to revise the manual for a new version of the scanner, you can just incorporate that into the manual itself. Right. So now my wheels are turning here too. Now think about what or listening to what you're talking about because I have plans to make uh, online training courses for each scanner that, that's out on the market now. Oh, uh, wow. Eventually going back. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Trust me. It's, yes. Uh, just even getting started on it is overwhelming. And I think Mark did a, an amazing job of doing the print manual, uh, but I would like to make a, a course on it. So listening to what, what you are saying, and, and I want to make sure I can do this so that it's beneficial for you as well. So if I go through the course, I say I would just map out the keyboard. I'd say on the left side, you have the following buttons from top to bottom. And then on the right-hand side of the keyboard, you would have, you know, the key sequence and whatever else. But if I go through the menus, it would be, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I were to say the first menu option is programming, the second option down from there is the next one, the third one down is whatever. Um, and then if we say we were going into the programming menu, I would say, uh, press the menu button once, your first option is programming, you're going to push enter again. Now your third option down is what we're looking for, and that is the 
I mean, that's that's the way that would yes. be most beneficial for you. Definitely on the right track with that. Okay, then that def- is definitely the way I'm going to do it when I when I start recording in my training videos. Is I'll definitely be very conscious about um, you know where things are as far as um, remembering to 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 say it. Now, because I mean, everything's going to be on video. It's very easy to say, you know, just scroll down to here. But um, I will I will definitely make it. Uh, a point to make sure that I, I I walk through the number of turns of the dial and everything else to to cycle through everything as well. Yeah, that's you're certainly on the right track with that. Okay, perfect, perfect. So, and then what I'll do too is, um, if you're interested, when I start the process of making the the course up, uh, I may send you a couple of of uh, videos to to take a you know a listen to to see if it's helping you guide you guide your way along the radio, and um, you know see if you have any feedback for me on that if you wouldn't mind. And, I would be more than happy to do that. Absolutely. Okay. Because I want to make sure, you know, that, that you know, everybody can – can. Uh, I, I love the skating hobby. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you're enjoying it as well. And, um, you know, I hate to hear those limitations, you know. I mean, it, 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 shouldn't, it shouldn't be, but that's just the way – I mean, you know, the way things are, uh, to put it bluntly with it. So um, anything um, I can do – I mean, that's my point. The point here is for me to help, and if I can help you doing that, then that's – that's what I want to make sure I'm able to do. Well, your other podcasts have been very helpful, uh, you know, for sure. So um, it's uh, you're, you're certainly um, um, you're certainly again, you're on the right track with that. Um, I've been very pleased with what you've done. Um, I know what I was going to say. It's kind of a little disclaimer. Um, sure. I am not I am not a scanner expert and. I have mentioned a lot of limitations here that I've had. It is conceivable. Um, I have tried to learn this all on my own. I've never had anyone cited who knows these scanners work with me. It is very possible that some of my limitations are because of things I've missed. I, I just want to say that just in case somebody comes back to you and says, well, did he know that you could do this? It's possible I didn't. So I, I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. No, and that's that's something excellent to 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 bring up as well. So basically, you've yourself taught. You don't really have anybody sitting over your shoulder and saying this is what the screen is showing you now, or you've kind no. of wow. my my sighted wife, God bless her, has helped with things. She will read the menus to me, but there's some of the stuff that neither one of us understands, so it's a little bit harder, <laughs> um, you know, to do anything. But uh, particularly with the 125, um, she's helped me out a couple of times where I'll bring up the menu and. You know, she can read the menus to me so that I can um, – she's my text-to-speech, and it, it, it works. It's worked out very well. In fact, she's helped me with the 325 a couple of times too. So, um, But uh, other than that, I have not had anyone who really knows how to use a scanner um, sit down with me and, and, and work through it. Excellent. Okay, so that's that's even – I mean, that's – I'm speechless about that. I mean, it's it's great that you were able to, to learn, especially with the radios that are out there today. So – um, I think I think if he had gone into it and he jumped in, you know, feet first now, I think it probably would have been overwhelming. But because you had such a long time background in it and, um, you know, the way that you got in with just a dial radio that you can just tune around, um, that had boundaries on it, right? Because you, you can only go so far left and so far right before you ran a real estate on the, on the uh, exactly. you know. Um, I broke more than one dial cord, trust me. It <laughs> reminds me of when I first, when I was first a kid, my dad gave me a short radio. I don't remember what the make a model of it was, but I got the dumb idea one day to take the dial cord off. I think because it had slack in it or something like that. And I, I quickly realized that you can't do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought I could restring this. 
Uh, oh, yeah. No, no, it forever. It was forever. You know, pointless. Forever damaged. <laughs> so, yes. Well, I mean, with tune, you just didn't know where it was. Exactly. So, um, you know, and I never really, I never really uh, played around with it much after that. And I think it just sat in my closet until eventually it hit the garbage can. So, right. um, I, I never got in trouble for it. So, if my dad's listening now, he's gonna know what happened to that scanner. But. <laughs> He's probably forgotten oh, that, too. That short, yeah, it was a shortwave radio that he gave to me. So, but multiband, but uh, yeah. very good. So anything else you want to bring up though before we uh, we wrap it up for the day? I think for right now, no. This has been a, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I've enjoyed talking with you. I hope I've uh, given you guys some useful information, and um, really, it's been fun. So, Pete, I want to thank you very much for taking the time uh, on this Saturday afternoon to speak with us and to do this recording. And um, it definitely brought, I mean, attention to what it is you go through on a day-to-day. And, I mean, not only you, but I know there's other people out there that, as you said, are visually impaired, that either have, um, uh, have, have limited sight or no sight at all, and are able to enjoy the hobby of scanning. I know uh, there's a couple out there, too, that also enjoy amateur radio, that, you know, they do that as well. And it's just it, it's just great to hear that even with you know that limitation again just hopefully I don't sound um, you know non PC to say it. I'm not the kind of person that likes to be PC I just kind of say it the way it is um, and hopefully there's no offense behind that but it, I, to me it's it's great that you're you are able to enjoy this hobby and I'm happy that you're able to and my hope is that you know the right people listen to this podcast and are able to help you out. And are able to uh, make hardware and make the software more compatible, so that you're able to take your hobby now to the next level and and to enjoy it, you know, on, on a more um, uh, personal level. I guess is the way to say it here. So uh, with that, thank you, Pete, for taking the time and sharing your story uh, with everybody. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much, Pete. I want to thank you again. This was a great interview. And I am thrilled that you spent the time to discuss this with all of us. And if anybody out there would like to comment on this or if you have any suggestions for Pete, um, you'd like to get in touch with them, really the best way to do so at this time is just leave a comment at scannerschool.com slash session 86. Also, that's our show notes page. So we'll have some links in there as well. But, uh, yeah, Peter had asked if he wanted to reach out and contact him. We just leave it as a comment in that uh, in that show notes right there. Also, I want to remind everybody that uh, you can help support Scanner School by going to scannerschool.com slash support. From there, you can become a monthly Patreon supporter. You can support us with a one-time PayPal fee. If you want to purchase new hardware, you can do so by going to Scanner Master. We have a link to Scanner Master that uh, helps support Scanner School as well as software from Butel. And if you're an Amazon shopper, again, like I am a huge Amazon shopper. I got like three deliveries just this weekend alone, plus my groceries. Uh, again, you go to scannerschool.com support, and you can click any of the links in there. And once that takes you out, it's got our little tags on it, and that helps support Scanner School. So looping back to Patreon, again, this is our month-to-month PBS type of model where basically you're pledging for help uh, to help us out. And I want to thank all those who are helping us Stephen Sheffield, Scott Vorder, Signals Everywhere, Craig Harper, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, William R. Dan, Glenn Bryden, Anthony Saggio, Raymond Hill, James Felling, M.T. Bono, and Mark Beebe. So, again, we have some bonuses when it comes to being a Patreon supporter, one of them being uh, early access to the podcast 
And uh, we're going to be bringing back, starting September, because that's when most of the uh, schools in my area at least start back to school, uh, I think it's a good time for me to start back our monthly online uh, Q&A sessions as well. So instead of there just being an Ask Scanner School, I'd also like to bring back our old Scanner School Facebook once a month uh, Q&A sessions where you can ask me questions live. And what we're going to do is we're going to do this for a 30-minute session open and public. And then for my Patreon supporters at a set tier, I'm going to announce that tier later on, uh, you'll have your own dedicated 30-minute uh, discussion with me as well as a little bonus for the thanks for being Patreon supporters. We're also working on some more bonuses for those who are in Patreon right now. So we might be doing some restructuring on Patreon, but uh, I got a couple more weeks and I'll, I'll come with that announcement most likely the first week of September. So until then, I want to remind you that if you have any questions for Scanner School, you please submit them scannerschool.com slash ask. That's a great way to get your questions asked. And again, if you want a free consulting call, just leave me a voicemail using SpeakPipe or a voicemail number. So that's the best way for you to win that and ask us a question as well. We'll catch you again next week. I have another awesome interview lined up. Yeah, we're going a little bit heavy right now on interviews. And if you have something you want to bring up on the podcast, something you're an expert in, something that um, you know you know very well and you want to share and discuss with the podcast, you can go to our website, scannerschool.com at the very top. There'll be the podcast. Click on that and there'll be a Be a Podcast guest where you can fill out the date and time that works best for you. Leave me what your subject is that you want to talk about and it automatically books it in my calendar and we can sync up over Skype and do the interview. No Skype, no problem. We do it over the phone. So with that, I know it's a long session. I'm out of here. Have a good one. We'll catch you all next week. My name is Phil Lichtenberger. This podcast is here to help you learn more about the Scanner Radio hobby and I think we did that today. 73, everyone.